0: Welcome to New Consciousness Review. Our guest today is Scott Bloom, a best-selling author, and along with Madison Taylor, his wife, business partner, and soulmate, the co-founder of the popular inspirational website DailyOm, which is at DailyOm.com. He's also a successful multimedia artist who has collaborated with popular authors, musicians, and visual artists. And he produced many critically acclaimed works, including his award-winning film, Walk-In, which he both wrote and directed. It was based on his book, Summer's Path, which is part of a trilogy along with Winter Moon Rises and Waiting for Autumn. Welcome, Scott. I'm delighted
1: you could join us. Thank you so much for having me.
0: God, I understand you've left Ashland, Oregon, for Ohio. I will try not to take that personally
1: as an Oregonian, but was that because of your film production? Um, well, it was actually had nothing to do with the film production. It had to do with uh, the weather, number one. <laughs> what? Uh, you don't like rain? Um, I actually love it, but my wife, Madison, doesn't. Uh-huh. Um, and then the other reason is there's an amazing school um, in Ojai that was started by Krishnamurti, uh-huh. and so that's why we—that's the main reason why we came to Ojai.
0: Lovely, lovely. So, how did you go from being a music industry executive to a best-selling novelist and now a filmmaker?
1: Well, um, when when I was working in the music industry. Um, my wife and I were spending all of our spare time meditating, doing yoga, that sort of thing. Just basically trying to deal with the craziness of uh, being in in Los Angeles. And um, I, in the meantime, while I was in the music business, my wife started an aromatherapy company, and it became very successful. So I quit uh, my job in the music industry to work with her. And after just a few weeks, it became obvious that we were on the same trajectory um, as uh, my, my music industry career because uh, the, the candles were taking off and uh, it was just becoming really crazy uh, successful. And so we had a heart-to-heart talk and said, you know, what we really need to do is figure out a way where we can integrate our personal interests in spirituality um, and conscious living with our professional life and not have, you know, one of them support the other. And so we came up with this idea of, of daily Aum, which um, was th- the main reason was uh, kind of selfishly. We wanted to see if there was a way that we could support ourselves by, um, by living the conscious life that, we, you know, that would interest us. And so that's how um, daily Aum came to be. But the thing that we learned um, primarily by, uh, with, with daily Aum, is to really uh, use our our intuition as our guiding force in order to make life decisions. You know that was that was sort of the the, the core lesson that took several years to you know to to figure out. Um, but once we learned it, um, we we started both listening to what the universe wanted to to tell us and what the universe wanted to say through us. And mm-hmm. although my wife was definitely the um, the writer in the family. Um, you know, sort of surprising to to me. Um, I was given uh, a novel as well, and and I did everything I could to ignore it um, and 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 push it push it aside as much as possible. But uh, over time, I ended up uh, writing it down, and uh, that became my first novel, which was Summer's Path. Well, actually, my first novel was um, was Waiting for Autumn. Is what is as I wrote it first, um, mm-hmm. and I wrote. Summer's Path, second, which was uh, the prequel to Waiting for Autumn. But but if you look at it in terms of the series, um, Summer's Path is what's, what starts the series. Um, Waiting for Autumn is second, although I wrote that one uh, first. And then um, the third in the trilogy is Winter Moon Rises.
0: You know, there seems to be, perhaps as part of the global shift, the global awakening that we're going through, there seems to be a deep yearning on the part of so many people to leave the sort of rat race world and to connect in their working life with something that feeds them spiritually. Was it a a scary process for you to actually turn your back on what you knew and head out
1: into the unknown? Well, I I I don't know if that initial decision was scary. I think what was uh, scary is once I, um, w- once we were kind of on that path, what was scary was that the same decision-making um, processes didn't work um, because I was used to relying on my intellect and relying on you know how to be as smart as possible and research and, and um, that sort of thing. And I think it was primarily to teach me a lesson, but the universe, every time I came up with the absolute smartest way to um, make Daily Om successful, it would always fail. And so that's when it started becoming uh, very scary, is when I couldn't use the old way in order to um, succeed in this new paradigm.
0: That is quite fascinating. So you said that once you started tuning into your intuition, then you were able to make it work.
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean that that was kind of the the main thing that that took, you know, it was it was the same lesson that we were beat over the head with um, you know, every every day for the period of years and years because although we thought we learned it every time um we were given another um uh, another test we would fail miserably. So, um so that's that's kind of why um we had to keep learning the lesson over and over. But yes, that that was definitely um the hardest thing for for me. Is to, um, is to learn to, to trust that and, and to realize that, that um, my intellect is, is a valid tool, but just like you wouldn't use a hammer, you know, for every single uh, thing that needs to be fixed in your, in your house or, or, you know, in your car, um, you don't use your intellect for every single uh, thing that needs to, to have a decision made in your life.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that the book was, quote, given to you. Uh, can you expand upon
1: that? Well, yeah, basically what happened was um, one morning I woke up and it was sort of like watching a movie that, that before you watch a movie, you know, the story isn't in your head. And then after you watch the movie, then you can reflect on the story. The same thing happened, except for instead of an hour and a half to- uh, period of time, the, um, the it, it took less than a, a second and a half where the entire story was downloaded and, and like I said one, one second later um, this entire story um, w- was in me as if I had just watched a movie. Um, and, and I did everything I could as I mentioned before to, to ignore that because, because it just didn't make sense you know for, for, for the, the technology and the business guy to, to start writing. and so you know I, I, I did what most most people that uh, you know that they get their first or, or second calling, uh, to do spiritual work is, you know, I, I ignored it for as long as possible. <laughs> but, well, but one day, you know, I, the, the main reason I wrote it down, to be honest, is because it was becoming so physically painful. Um, it, it, was, it was truly becoming, um, uh, you know, a, a physical pain that I needed to get out of me. And so that's the the real reason I wrote it down, was because I just wanted it out of me so I could move on with my life.
0: Interesting. And did the same process happen with the other two books of the trilogy? Um, no,
1: actually, each one of them was completely different. Um, the the uh, Summer's Path came up where I was um, at a Hay House conference. Um, Hay House was the publisher of uh, is the publisher of all my books and my movie. And uh, before Waiting for Autumn came out, Waiting for Autumn was scheduled to come out first. Um, Madison and I went to a Hay House I Can Do It event, and we were meeting with the the CEO of Hay House and talking about different ways of, of, um, getting the word out for, um, for Waiting for Autumn, you know, being so it was my first book and people didn't think of me as a, as an author, et cetera. And for some reason, somebody took over my, my mouth and started talking and said, um, well, you know what we should probably do is why don't we, um, why don't we release a a prequel to, um, to Waiting for Autumn before it comes out and then, um, and then that would, and we can just give that away for free. And then people would be interested to know what comes next. And, and uh, then, then waiting for autumn would uh, uh, be, be something people would be interested in. And uh, the CEO said, Oh, that's a great, that's a great idea. No problem. And so then um, I left the meeting and then all of a sudden, um, you know, I, I came to, to, to be, and I reflected on what just happened. And I was thinking to myself, it's taken two years to get to this point, to come up with the original idea, to uh, find a publisher, to um, go through the editing process, to go back and forth with the different drafts, and finally get it to the place where we're going to release um, Waiting for Autumn. I've just agreed to write a new book before Waiting for Autumn comes out, which is going to come out in six weeks. (laughs) And so I have only a few weeks to write and edit this, this new book, and I have no idea what it's about. (laughs) And so I said, Oh, no. Uh, So I almost ran back. And and I almost bent back and said, I don't know who just said that. But it wasn't me. Um, So let's come up with a different idea. I know you seem to see that was a good idea. But it really isn't. Um, But my but my ego wouldn't let me do that. And so I was completely panicked for the next few days until I got back home. And, um, and then the, the very day that I got home, I woke up the next morning at five in the morning. And once again, the entire story downloaded to me within a second.
0: Uh, and,
1: um, and I sat down and I, and I just wrote it out. And, um, of course, it was a little bit clunky because, you know, I didn't have the time to do the editing. And there was also some kind of um, parts of me that was kind of blocking some things that were painful because it's kind of a um, an intense story that I was kind of uh, blocking. But that being said, I did put it out um, for free. It went to uh, straight to the top of the Amazon Kindle charts Um, and it was number one for two weeks. And then I pulled it because I said, you know what, we, we've got the promotion we needed, but I just felt uncomfortable with the editing process. Mm -hmm. And so, um, once Waiting for Autumn came out and was successful, I went back to Hay House and said, would you like to put this out as a hardcover? And they said, yes. And so, um, I, I actually had time to, to rewrite it, which was, which was really fun because I got a chance to, you know, rewrite something that was already out there. I added a couple of chapters um, that I didn't add before. And then, um, went through the whole, uh, editing process, felt much more comfortable with it. And that came out second. And then, um, and then later when, um, when the, uh, I was able, I was given the gift of of being able to, to, uh, put it out as a film, I got to rewrite it again, but we can talk about that later, but, but it's funny because that's particular story. I got to rewrite three times.
0: Wow. Wow. Well, okay, let, why don't we talk about the film? Because uh, Summer's Path was actually the uh, foundation for your film Walk-In. Tell us what the general storyline is, the premise.
1: Well, the the premise is that um, a man has um, a fatal disease, and just as he's about to lose all hope, he meets an angel in his dreams that agrees to take over his diseased body in return for giving him the body of a puppy. So that's sort of the the overarching premise of of Summer's Path. Mm -hmm. Um, Sort of what was different about Summer's Path versus the film is, as you can imagine, um, you know, portraying life inside of the body of a puppy is a a lot easier to do um, in novel form than it is um, on film, Mm
2: -hmm. um,
1: at least with a limited budget um, and not coming off as really corny. So um, what instead since the uh the book sort of follows the the whole journey of what it's like to be a puppy um i changed the story um in in the film to basically follow the characters um that the uh instead of the walkout who basically walks out of the body and goes into the puppy uh the walk-in so the the angel that goes into the body and more important. What was uh, the reaction of the outside world, um, most exceptionally the, um, the wife of, of the person that was the zailing? So, so how does this process affect one's loved ones? It's, it's kind of what I was trying to get at um, in the film.
0: Mm-hmm. It actually is, is quite powerful in that respect. Uh, tell us what a walk-in is. Uh, do, do you firmly
1: believe they exist? Well, so so a walk-in um, is it describes the journey when a um, a soul enters another body when um, that the first soul no longer needs that body. So um, that it's it's sort of like um, it's sort of like other uh, other kind of um, possession type. Um, uh theories but the difference of a possession versus a walk-in is um the walk-in is more of a mutually agreed upon um a a metaphysical process as opposed to a possession which is kind of a forced assault um so that's kind of the difference between possession and and a walk-in but but essentially what it is is if, if somebody doesn't need a body anymore a soul on a soul level if a soul doesn't need a body anymore then um an angel for lack of a better word, is invited in to take over that body and do their own work on this planet using the, the physical incarnation of, of the former body while the uh, First Soul uh, no longer needs it. So that's what a walk-in is.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I, I know that Ruth Montgomery, the, uh, that wonderful writer who used to be a correspondent for the Washington Post. Um, she has claimed that Ben Franklin, Gandhi, even Christopher Columbus were walk-ins. Do you think that's possible or
1: do you have any sense about that? Well, yeah, I, I, th- I think that, um, that, that there are definitely times in history when, um, when great people need to call on sort of um, spiritual guidance in order to accomplish something great um you know whether that's meditation or prayer or, or or something a little bit more um you know metaphysical um in nature like a walk in um i i think that if you just look at it um in terms of these great people need all the help they can get if they're, you know, coming out and they're, they're going to change the world, you know, like Gandhi, for example. He absolutely needed as much help as he could, he got, you know, whether he was a, a walk-in or not, um, you know, it sort of makes sense. But that being said, you know, the, the ability to kind of, you know, put your body, um, on, on hold and just say, okay, you know, I don't need to eat because I'm, I'm doing this for the rest, you know, for, for the rest of the world and for the good of all, of, of all humanity. That takes, um, you know, a lot of fortitude, and it takes an absolute um, immense amount of support. Whether um, whether it's from from your loved ones or or spiritual in nature, um, I, I think that you need all the help you can get. And so, with, it, with that in mind, yes, I believe that um, you know, spiritual help for uh, great people is definitely something that that happens.
0: I wonder if there's such a thing as a partial walk-in where you have. You know, both the original soul and the, the sort of uh, uh, backup of, of a walk-in type.
1: Well, I, I think that probably happens to us all um, more frequently than, um, you know, we're conscious of. But if, if we sort of feel into it, there are definitely occasions, um, at least in my life, when I can sense um, sort of a spiritual um, uh, presence other than my own. Um, kind of in my field and Mm -hmm. um and and i believe there are times when that communication can happen it's like does that you know what what is constitutes a body really i mean is is it is it your um is it your field is it your um you know within the the um the physicality of of a body as as we see it um, that being said, what about an aura, you know, is, if, if there's a soul inside of your, you know, aura, does that count? I mean, all of these things, I, I think that we, if we tune in and the, the more that we get, uh, attuned to, to these, uh, spiritual occurrences, um, you know, this is sort of how we're getting our guidance, you know, where, whether it comes from our intellect, whether it comes from our intuition, um, you know, whether people, um, can see colors or, or they can hear, um, sounds, um, or, or just, or just know things, you know, all, all of these mm-hmm. Things are, are somehow uh, described by a communication with a force other than ourselves. And, and so um, I think that that, you know, in, in some ways is, is a way of addressing what you're saying about, you know, a partial walk in or, or whatever. I, I think that all of these terms, um, walk in included, are, are just useful for, for um, describing um, certain occurrences that, that happen that, that really we don't have words for. Mm-hmm. And so I think it, it, these words are, are instead of really a way of accurately defining what's happening in the um, in, in the spiritual world or how the spiritual world collides with the physical world. I think what these words are most useful for um, is to, um, to to kind of frame the discussion um, and to get get people uh, thinking and, and feeling and, and talking about things that really can't be defined um, in the physical world because it is bigger than that.
0: hmm. Now, in the film, the angel, um, does offer the, the Dom, the, the, um, sick protagonist, a young, healthy male body. He kind of neglects to mention that it's actually a dog. <laughs> yes. Um, whereas in, in your book, you, you go into that a lot more. What made you decide to use a non-human vehicle?
1: Well, I, I think that, as I was saying at the beginning, one of the, the things I really wanted to explore um, is that relationship of, of how does these spiritual occurrences um, impact um, one's loved one, especially when uh, the loved one isn't going through the same um, spiritual event that you, you know the, 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 the one person is. So I, I find that that's fascinating, and, and it's something that... that um, that is sort of a, a theme with, with all relationships, but you know I think spiritual um, spiritual events are, are one of those things because you have to follow it. If you're if you're following your, your destiny, you, you really truly um if your if your life is in alignment, you you, you truly need to do that. And, and sometimes um, it's completely at odds with what's better for best for the family. Um, you know, that just because it's good for your soul doesn't mean that it's good for, you know, living um, in this particular world. And so, so that, that, um, that pull, um, I, I find, is, is, you know, extremely um, rich. Um, and I, I felt that it was going to uh, be able to underline that if the, um, the, soul, the former soul of the, the body um, was still in the presence of his uh his other of his former body and his um his wife,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: so one of the ways of doing that um was to to have um ha- have the uh, soul inhabit a puppy that is is in the same household with them, and then seeing what is it you know what does it feel like when when you're in the presence of this going on
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: nonviolent and spiritually uplifting things seem to be carving out a niche in the film world, albeit a small niche at the moment. Were you aiming your film for the general market or for the more spiritually oriented market?
1: Um, well, I, you know, I, in the same way that, that um, the books are sort of given to me, um, the, the film was kind of given to me as well. And so I try not to question things too much. Especially when it comes to market, when you when you get a little bit caught up in, in um, your, your uh, the market for your your uh, your art, it, it's really easy to compromise what your art's about. And I think that um, all of my books and, and uh, my film is is very pure, um, for better or for worse, <laughs> <laughs> um, in you know within itself uh, as far as the art goes. Um, I think that that um, my personal view of film is I'm not really um personally that excited about films that are overly didactic or educational in tone. And I think a lot of the spiritual movies that are out there are, are that way, um, which I think they're very helpful for certain types of people, but it's just not something that I personally enjoy. And so um I'm more interested in in a little bit more edgy indie type movies. And so I think naturally the style of walk in came out that way just because that's what I like to watch mm-hmm. um it's i think it's a inherently spiritual um storyline and um and, and definitely has some some spiritual um sensibilities to it and and definitely the overarching theme uh is spiritual but i think the tone and the um and uh, you know the look of it and and the sound of it and and just kind of the the overall feeling of the film is a lot more um you know indie uh mm-hmm. type film
0: Oh I totally agree yeah. yeah Now you were both
1: the the writer
0: and the director but you'd never directed a film before how did you uh uh cope with that
1: How did I cope with that Well I mean I I have been um in, in the um the multimedia production world for for twenty years and um... you know back in it's back, back when i started it was surrounded about video games and 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 things like that um, and then in multimedia production with with the music industry and interactive music videos and and things like that um, so i've been around the production of media for for quite some time um, so I, I understood a lot of, you know, was familiar with a lot of uh, the elements um, and the mechanics of putting together a media. But um, I think that the thing that was missing in my life, most of my life, was story and how how to tell a story. And so when I started writing books, that was kind of the missing piece. But when I when I actually jumped into it and, and you know, I convinced myself, oh, yeah, I can do this. No problem. I have all this experience, um, even though I don't really have any. Um, <laughs> when I jumped into it, um, I found that the biggest thing that I was missing missing um that was a a huge hole is is how to get a performance out of an actor because i never really worked with actors before um so you know fortunately I, i was in in ashland at the time who you know which definitely i'm home to one of the 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 most prestigious shakespeare festivals um in the country and they have a huge amount of um of uh amazing actors that that um that that are there. And uh, a lot of them have had been in movies and and television um but they, you know, they choose to to live in Ashland. So, um you know, it was it was great. So, definitely um working with such seasoned actors um it, it made it much easier than I than it than it probably should have been. <laughs> uh because, you know, I I had these really talented people that were kind of, you know, helping me along the way. Mhm.
0: Mm-hmm. Very nice. Very nice. Um now, I, I think uh, you have a beautiful soundtrack to the film. Uh, did you write the music?
1: Um, well, I didn't write all of the music. I, I, I wrote one song. Um, I, I was actually um, a fan of this person by the name of Jeff Pivar for, for many years. Um, he, he's, he's basically a legend um, in the, um, uh, the touring and studio world, um, working with, ricky lee jones and david crosby and um donald fagan from steely dan and ray charles and blah 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 it just goes on and on he's just incredible and in in addition to having this massive discography that, that you've heard him a million times um i also had the chance to see him live and and he's just one of those people that can channel um you know channel a house plant and make it the most beautiful sound <laughs> you've ever heard in the world um, and play any stringed instrument there's a multi-instrumentalist and i knew that that I wanted to work with somebody of that talent, you know. With my background in the music industry, I didn't want to just start with somebody that you know was a film composer. What I wanted to do was 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 find a genius, and then if they happen to do movies, great. And if they didn't, we'll learn together, um, which is what happened with him. Um, I, I reached out for to him via email. And surprisingly, um, within um, within a day, he emailed me back and said, "You know, I've always wanted to do a film. This is great. Um, your your movie sounds interesting. Send me the script." And so I sent him the script. He loved it, and he just began writing music based on um, based on the script before we even started filming. Um, and it was incredible. And so I saw, we we started collaborating before we we started filming, and had um, a lot of the. The, the the basis of the the soundtrack done um before we started filming um and then at the same time I was um you know I was uh interviewing actors and and um and once I I uh, focused on on the lead actor Danforth Comens I I said to myself I don't know this some intuition was telling me you know what I bet this guy can sing and I said so can you sing and he's like no I, I don't sing and I said really I said, because I, I just thought it would be interesting if you could sing um, in the film. He goes, well, you know, I play guitar a little bit. And <laughs> uh, and I'm like, oh, really? So, you know, why don't you bring a guitar in? And so he he brought it in and, and uh, he started playing and he had the most amazing voice I had ever heard. I was just like, I can't believe you don't do this every single day. It was incredible. And so, I you know, I had this, you know, world-class genius that was doing the music and then I had this undiscovered, you know, lead vocalist that was going to be the the lead of my movie i I just had to figure out something to do with them and so there was this song that i had written with um with a former bandmate of mine cat sanchez and we were in a band together and uh so i i i uh played him the uh, demo of the song that i'd I'd recorded with cat and gave him the lyrics and he he came up with an arrangement i gave it to to jeff and uh one day in the studio they put it together and it was like the most amazing interpretation of this song that um that i had written and so we um so i basically you know feverishly rewrote the, uh, one of the last scenes in the movie in order to uh, incorporate him singing <laughs> the song in it, like picking up guitar. It's like, Oh, now's a good time for a song. And so he, so he did. And um, it, you know, it's, I think it's a, a really poignant part of the, the movie. The, the, the performance is fantastic. And then the um, then there's a more produced version of the song that plays during the credits. Um, so that was kind of, um, you know, really fun to be able to, to put an original song in place and then i was also able to work with some of my um my some of my heroes um i'm, I'm a record collector I, I collect vinyl and um and it's one of my passions for sure and so being able to um put some of my um my favorite songs into the movie um as well um was incredible with uh bridget st john um and omar sosa an incredible um a Cuban jazz pianist um anyway they they each contributed a song that was it was very very exciting to put that together it was to be honest one of my um favorite parts of of the film I think primarily because you know I felt a little bit more in my comfort zone maybe as opposed uh-huh. to just sitting there and saying oh what's happening next <laughs> <laughs>
0: It, it sounds like you were very much in the flow with this film, the way people just came, you know, came together to create it. How were you able to fund this undertaking?
1: Well, um, so a, um, a producer, um, actually two producers, Mike Wojcikowski and Frank McAnulty, uh, um, was starting a new um, website called imadeamovie.com. And they had this idea of kind of kind of doing a, um, like a little bit of a crowdfunding thing, but also um, letting people kind of contribute a lot more meaningfully, uh, meaningfully, sorry, in in um, the way uh, of creating um, a film. And so um, they they approached uh, Madison, my wife, about doing a daily own film because they thought that, um, you know, that that would be something that would be interesting to do and madison was interested in the idea of of doing a daily own film however she wasn't really there creatively yet she she knew she wanted to do something special and didn't really have the idea so she she basically told the producers you know why don't you talk to scott because he already has some books that are that are written um and and people had told me and, and she always felt that they were sort of cinematic in nature the way that i've written them and so they um they said you know would you like to do that we have a director in place you know he's you know a very successful hollywood director um and he can interpret the film and you know all you have to do is say yes and and then it'll be done and so i was like wow somebody making a movie out of my books that's so exciting um you know and and i had you know i known some friends that had done it before like um you know dan millman with way of the peaceful warrior and so i was like wow this this might be something to do but and um But then I started getting really nervous that some other director was going to, you know, take my characters that I, you know, kind of brought to life and and came through. They were babies. Yeah, Yeah, they were were the babies. But I mean, they were not mine because they were given to me. But I had these relationships with them. And and although he was definitely a great director and we had lots of discussions about how he was going to interpret them and, and he got it intellectually. But there was just things that, you know, I felt like he didn't know. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, you know, in the same way that my intuition, you know, guides me for pretty much anything I do, um, my intuition was, was not letting me sleep for weeks at a time. And although I was just about to put, you know, pen to paper and sign the contract, um, I eventually just told him no. And I, it was the stupidest thing I possibly could have done is, you know, these Hollywood Hollywood, um, producers were coming, uh, to me saying they were going to make a movie, bringing this really qualified, um, director that i liked um to me and i was about to tell them no and, and finally i just said you know i, I just can't do it you know i just this is just not i just can't imagine any other person bringing this to life and so i'm just going to have to say no um and i knew from experience that you know that first-time directors never get their breaks that are funded and they have to do film school projects and you know all of this other stuff so i didn't even bring it up i just i just said no and and they said well you know why and I told them all of the reasons why and, and they said well sounds like you have some really good um, good ideas why don't you direct it and I was just blown away I couldn't believe that it happened but you know in some in some ways you know obviously this was um, the universe's project and so once again I every time I'm, I'm surprised then um, you know, I'm surprised again you know so um, so that was it was just kind of handed to me on a silver platter and, and they came with the budget in hand and uh, and said okay go ahead go ahead and do it Wow. So
0: what message do you think your film conveys? What, what what is the message that you wanted to convey to the viewer?
1: Well, I, I think that um you know it, it's it's many different it, it's it's multi-layered. As I mentioned before, I think that the that the main thing is um I was trying to, to create a film that entertains first and foremost because I didn't want it to be, you know, kind of a a talking heads, um, educational film. But that being said, I think one of the the main threads kind of from a beginner level is that, you know, we do have a soul that is independent of our body and that that soul has a journey that, um, that, that comes before, um, you know, what we can traditionally consider to be birth. And it, um, continues on after what people can traditionally consider to be death. Um, so I think that that, you know, is kind of like the, the beginning um, sort of discussion that I would like. Um, and then I think one of the things that, that I deliberately kept messy um, is um, kind of the moral implications of um, the relationship between um, angels and, um, and, and souls that are living on this earth. And I think a lot of people have a tendency to um, exalt any, any um, sort of soul that has moved on. And I, and and maybe even using the word angel, that that anybody that is an angel or any soul that has has died, you know, are are saints. And and there's nothing wrong with them and they can do no wrong. And and I think what I wanted to do is to share that, you know, these souls um, have challenges as well. And that that maybe they're not, um, that just because they are doing, they have the intent to do something positive in the world, that they have flaws as well. And so I kind of wanted to um, introduce that discussion of what is the concept of, you know, um, a flawed angel.
0: That's actually quite an interesting subject to contemplate, not not just the notion of flawed angels, but our whole perception of, you know, the afterlife in heaven where everybody suddenly becomes omniscient and perfect. Um, it, it seems like our human messiness carries on and and it's really part of the human experience to sort it out on whatever plane
1: Right. Yeah, I think it's 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 the it's the um, it's the soul experience It's the existence experience that we're mm-hmm. having, you mm-hmm. know, just to exist um, Just because you know, we have moved on to a different plane doesn't mean that everything is, is better It just means everything is different. You know, there are definitely things that we need to learn in this life um, and, and the physical limitations that we have, you know, b- being incarnate. Um, that being said, there's definitely other challenges in other planes. Um, and, and I think that that's what makes, you know, uh, all, all of this um, experience of, of existing, you know, so interesting. Are you planning a sequel to this film or other Well, I mean, fortunately, the next two sequels are already written and published. So, um it makes the things pretty easy. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, definitely waiting for Autumn um is in the works um and I'm just starting to put together a team uh for that and uh for- fortunate that, you know, cross my fingers um it's it's uh, some people that I've, that I've respected for for many years that, that will become involved um it's a little bit early to talk about now but um definitely um it, it it's the next thing involved and and also just the whole idea of um telling a story in this medium um, was extremely rewarding for me and, and very exciting so um it, it's also possible that um my, my next new story will, will come out um, on Film First, uh, independent of a, of a novel. Of a novel.
0: That's really interesting. You know Jimmy Twyman. He was a fellow denizen of Ashland.
1: Yes, of course I know him.
0: And um, he's also just kind of turned his hand to filmmaking. What is it about the, the film medium? Do you, do you feel it just engages on a
1: broader scale? Well, I mean, it, you know, it, it it definitely, um, caters to control freaks, because, you know, if you're going going to um, tell a story, um, you know, and to be able to control not only the words that are coming out of the people's mouth, but, you know, what is the makeup that they're wearing? What are the clothes they're wearing? um, What's the music that's playing behind? uh, What is the angle? I I don't it's not really just being a control freak. I mean, that's making light of it. It's basically what it is. It's it's being able to to um, to be able to communicate everything that's in our heads. You know, when you're writing a book, you see this this you 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 see the scene, you hear everything, and it's just you know so enriching as a storyteller to be able to communicate everything that's in your head. Mm-hmm. And you can do that with a with, with with a film, but you can't with a book
0: That that's interesting because from the reader's perspective, sometimes when you See the film of a book that you have read and loved, Uh, sometimes your interpretation during the reading part is very different from the author's interpretation.
1: Uh, Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, in some ways, it definitely takes something away from the reader uh
0: um,
1: when you create a film. Um, That being said, you know, just the realistic, um, where we're at. In today's society, I think more people watch movies than read books.
2: Absolutely,
1: um, and and so I think you also have the ability to communicate with a wider audience, um, you know, with that medium as well. Uh-huh. Um, that being said, you know, a, an amazing reader is going to have a much um, richer experience reading a book because they get to make all those decisions and they get to contribute all of those things that I'm talking about. Um, but 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 as a storyteller, um, you know, you we We like to be able to do that too <laughs> uh, quite
0: right, and it's your story um, will walk in get theatrical distribution? Or are you going to go straight to d v d
1: well, actually, it's already been in the theaters um, uh-huh. it was in the theater last uh, last year it started in the um the uh, um, film festival circuit it actually won a couple of awards and um and then got a, a, th- a limited theatrical release um, and it was actually quite successful um, with the resources that we have. You know, in order to promote a film properly um, takes a lot of money, but um, we were able to, um, you know, to get the success that we did with very limited budget. Um, and it was also really fun, to be honest, to have a, you know, red carpet premiere and the whole thing. And and so <laughs> it, 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 it was great. Um, and uh, so this is actually the second part of it, which is the DVD release, where um, people now all
0: over the world can, uh, can see it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, it's interesting to speculate where media, uh, with a capital M, is, is going, because it, there seems to be a convergence. You're getting multimedia, e-books and apps, and I know there was a, a program that, uh, VUK, that incorporated video clips with uh, uh, tying them together with a narrative... Um, where do you see the sweet spot going?
1: Well, um, I, I think that the, that we're definitely diverging. I think that the first thing that's falling um, by the wayside is um, the physicality of the format. Um, and I think that's kind of where we're at now, where there's a divergence between um, kind of a virtual and the concept of what is ownership versus what is kind of renting. I think all of those uh, lines are blurring currently. Um, and, you know, where you have the Netflix and the Spotify's and, and people like that um, that are kind of having these virtual libraries. That being said, I think that the people that are going to be, um, you know, very passionate about collecting the, the objects are going to be rewarded um, immensely with um, m- cooler and cooler objects in order to get people to to want to buy something physical um like i said before i I collect vinyl so that's something that um you know i'm passionate about and just the whole idea of you know the physicality of of a record um excites me as far as the convergence of um the media themselves itself goes um i think the first thing that needed to go away is the um is the physicality of it, um, to be able to blur the lines. The second thing that needs to be, uh, to go away, which is happening now, is the old, um, paradigm of, um, kind of the media empires, um, the, the record labels, the film companies. Mm-hmm. Those yep. are just starting to crumble or, um, or hopefully evolve. Um, I think in the, in the music business, they lost a lot, um, about 10 years ago. And so they're finally starting to evolve. I don't think that the film business is quite, um, as agile as of evolving as the music businesses right now but mm-hmm. i think that's going to be happening soon and then once they are agile and not getting so hung up on how do you make money um, then i think that uh the the creativity is going to open up and the floodgates are going to happen where all of these things are just going to be one one expression um you know whether they um You know whether musicians are making films, or or filmmakers are making virtual reality, or um, or uh, theme parks are you know or movies or whatever. I think it's all going to come together, and it's going to be this um, this fluid uh, experience where there's just going to be uh, sort of life artists, and um, and we're all going to be able to experience whatever they happen to um, dream up. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I think it's only a matter of time until it all comes to us through ESP.
1: <laughs> right, exactly, exactly.
0: <laughs> so, um your your next project will be what? Autumn's path?
1: Uh waiting for autumn um oh, waiting for autumn, right? I, yeah, I, it's it's unclear if it's going to be uh, waiting for autumn or if it's going to be the um the the new project that um hasn't uh put come out in in novel yet but um but i'd say that that from a film perspective those are two um kind of in the in the running right now Mm
2: -hmm. Um,
1: they're both looking good which is exciting and um and then that so that's more on the creative standpoint i don't have a a a book planned because the two films are, are definitely keeping me busy um and then um i also have a couple of um New uh, business uh, business ventures that I'm working with um, alongside of uh, uh, Dalyom that um, are going to be exciting as well and and really um, taking uh, kind of what we were talking about um, with with media and the the business of media and uh, and really bringing it to the the uh, personal development world. Ooh, can you talk about it, or is that? Um, I think I've talked as much as I can right now, but um, <laughs> okay. but I would say that in the next. Uh, four or five months, um, I'll be happy to talk about it uh, more in depth. So which is the space that people should watch? Uh, well, so if, if you want to um, if you want to find out more about the film, walkinthemovie.com is um, kind of a direct link to that. Um, or if you're a Facebookie, you can go to facebook.com slash walkinthemovie. And then um, dailyome.com is, is you know, definitely always uh, the heartbeat of what we do um, as far as sending our messages to the world. And then if you want to kind of get the cutting edge of what where I'm coming from, especially on the creative side, uh, scottbloom.net.
0: Um, I might add that you have a very nice kind of daily message that you send out through Daily Om, So I do commend that to people who may not have heard about it yet.
1: Yes, thank, thank you very much. My wife is responsible for all of the content, but definitely keeps me busy on the, uh, the business and technology side, for sure.
0: Uh huh. Well, Scott, it's been a delight talking to you and learning about your film and your, your endeavors. Uh, Scott Bloom, filmmaker and director of Walk-In, author of Summer's Path, and all-around general good guy.
1: Thank you for being with us. <laughs> thank you very much for having me.
0: Do join us next week when we'll be discussing the coming interspiritual age with the authors Kurt Johnson and David Robert Ord. And now we're going to conclude today's show with our track of the week called Breath of Spirit by the dynamic Gina Sitoli. It's from her one-woman musical, A Cabaret of Consciousness. That was Breath of Spirit by award-winning singer-songwriter Gina Sitoli. Her unique shows reflect the principles of ancient wisdom, new thought, and new science. Her powerful and transforming music has been used by NASA and in international CD compilations for peace. You can order and download her music from CD Baby or from her website, ginacitoli.com. That's G-I-N-A-C-I-T-O-L-I dot com. I would like to tell you that Gina has just joined our exciting new Speakers Bureau for Transformational Speakers and Musicians. It's called Luminary Voices, and the website is luminaryvoices.com. You're going to be hearing lots more about it in the coming weeks, so stay tuned. If you enjoyed our show and are looking for more inspiration check out the NCR website at ncreview.com. I'd like to remind you also that we're always looking for more reviewers. It's a great way to practice your writing while you build your library. We'd love to hear any comments or suggestions you might have for the show, so if you do have any, email me at miriam at ncreview.com or leave a comment on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash ncreview. Well, that's it for our show. So until next week, I'm Miriam Knight for New Consciousness Review. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.